Good morning. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Good morning, Hayden Bible Church. The only thing between you and your pot of Super Bowl fondue is this message. (laughs) We better pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we're uh, lovers of Jesus Christ. We're people who have been bought by the blood of the Lamb, and we're now owned by you. We're gladly we show up for work today. Lord, we want you to be blessed and glorified. Uh, We pray that you would, by the ministry of your word, equip us for work among uh, the people of Hayden and Coeur d'Alene and and Kootenai County and everywhere, Lord, we pray that you would equip us and help us to bear much fruit by the ministry of your Spirit. Holy Spirit, come, teach us, open your word, help us grow today, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, today I want to talk about um, walking by faith through hard things. How does a Christian suffer? Where do we find strength for help in hard things of our Christian life? And first, I want to set the tone for our time together. Um, That means I want to talk about one of my heroes, Martin Lloyd-Jones. I really like this guy. Uh, He's got a whole book on Romans chapter 6. He's got a whole book on pretty much all chapters of Romans. He did a a sermon on chapter 6, verse 13. And in that verse, I want to share with you, Paul writes, he says, Do not go on presenting your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. There's a concept that I want to pull out of this this verse and also in Martin Lloyd-Jones' message. Under the new covenant that you and I have been grafted into by faith, where the Spirit makes us dead to sin in Christ and alive to God, freeing us from the Mosaic covenant law that condemned us and even inflamed sin. 
But under this new covenant, by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit of God, we hunger and thirst for righteousness at the core of who we are, the center of our being. We're new creations now. Temples of the living God now. Slaves of righteousness, the scripture says. There's a victorious life that you and I have abundantly available to us in Christ. So in his sermon on Romans 6, chapter 13, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a message to those of us, including me, who tend to spend more time analyzing our spiritual belly buttons than being fruit producers in his kingdom. Producing the fruits of righteousness and justice all over the planet, outside these walls. And some of us, though, get sidetracked with ourselves. In his sermon, he calls us out. He says, here I am thus struggling and striving, defeated and unhappy. By the way, can anybody relate to that today? Suddenly I look at an advertisement which says, come to the clinic. What you need, we are told, is to come to the clinic, to the spiritual hospital, and here your sickness and your illness can be dealt with. But... He says, as I read the verses that we are studying in Romans chapter 6, I see no suggestion whatsoever of a clinic. Rather, I find a barracks, not a hospital, but a military center. What do I need? What do I find? I do not find a doctor here. What we all need is not a doctor, but a sergeant major. Here we are, as it were, slouching about on the parade ground, feeling our own pulses, feeling miserable, talking about our weakness. So we say, I need a doctor. I need to go to the clinic. I need to see the medical officer. But that is not right. What you need is to listen to the voice of the sergeant major who is there shouting out the commands of God to you. Let not sin reign in your mortal body. Yield not your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Yield yourself unto God. You have no business to be slouching about like that. Stand on your feet. Realize who and what you are enlisted in the army of God. Present yourself, he says. This is not a clinic. Maybe, like me, you're someone who needs to stand up this morning. To quit slouching, so to speak, like Martin Lloyd-Jones says. To sit up straight and sober yourselves to the reality that you and I have in Jesus Christ. The clinic is the place of unbelief. It's the place of the fetal position of defeat. Ironically, in the clinic, you don't get well. You stay sick. The medicine that they have in the clinic won't heal you. It won't nourish your soul. It won't bolster your courage. It doesn't give true comfort. It certainly doesn't develop fruit-producing, sturdy confidence in anybody's life. When you check yourself into the clinic, you just end up thinking you need more time in the clinic. When what you really need is the living and true God. Another illustration before we go into our text in Psalm 46 is from Matthew 8. He got into the boat. His disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being covered with the waves, but Jesus himself was sleeping. And they came to him and got up saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you so cowardly? 
you men of little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. And the, and the men marveled and said, what kind of a man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? These disciples, they checked themselves into the clinic. God's presence should have been their courage, and God's word quickly became their comfort, and his marvelous works would eventually become their confidence in life. The cowardly disciples of little faith, as Jesus puts it, to use another Martin Lloyd-Jones illustration, had mumps and measles of their soul. They were in the clinic, feeling their own pulses and talking about themselves and talking about their moods and and that we were all sick in here. Like many of us at times, carrying, always carrying my tissue, always looking for my forever therapist and always trying to get an appointment at the clinic. When we actually need, like the disciples, to put on our uniforms and clothe ourselves with Christ and respond to quaking mountains and crashing waves with faith in the Spirit, in Christ. Acknowledging the presence and the word and the works of our mighty living God. And realize that we're in a battle, the battle where lies are flying around everywhere. And and yet we have a very present help in times of trouble. God himself becomes our refuge and strength. I know because I work um, in our biblical counseling ministry, some of you are in marriages that are like sea storms. Crashing waves of sin. Pounding You both against the rocks and each other. Both of you are slouching on the parade ground talking about how sick your spouse is, how they're actually too sick to even go to the clinic and they can't be helped and so you you need to leave, a.k.a. you need to check yourself into the clinic so you can finally be happy once. Maybe your spouse is hard to live with. Maybe you think they're, you even think they're narcissistic and they're, that they're not conforming to your definition of sanctification for a Christian. And even worse, they, they certainly don't uh, live by your definition of remorse for the sins that they've uh, committed against you. What should you do? The clinic won't help you. How does a Christian endure really hard things? How does a Christian get through scary things and sad things? Maybe even better, how does a Christian suffer well? How do I suffer well? Let's turn to the Psalms. Psalm 46, let's take a look. I want to share with you as we start here my outline for this chapter. Um, Psalm 46, uh, verses 1 through 3, I have God's presence. His presence is my courage. Verses 4 through 7, God's word is my comfort. Verses 8 through 11, God's works are my confidence. In the New Testament, the Psalms is the second most quoted Old Testament book, second to Isaiah. And like with Isaiah, the Psalms is really key to our understanding the New Testament. And Psalm 46, like you heard, like many Psalms, 
explodes with beautiful imagery, shaking mountains and, and, and roaring, foaming seas and the earth melting. Isn't God's word beautiful? Wasn't it wonderful that he didn't just write us a mechanical manual? And then as well in Hebrew poetry, like here in Psalm 46, um, it's structured in a lot of different ways. One poetic structure is called chiasm. It's poetry with kind of parallels throughout the passage and pointing from beginning to end to this central theme that the Lord wants you to see. Hebrew language in, in scripture compels you by design, by God's supernatural design, to search deeper and deeper and deeper into Scripture until you find that diamond, the non-clinic medicine that satisfies you to the depth of your soul that creates change in your life. In Psalm 46, I believe the center of the chiasm points to verse 7, which is my key verse for the chapters. Verse 7, Yahweh of hosts is with us, The God of Jacob is our stronghold, Selah. Selah. Stop for a moment. Marvel. Let what you just read sink deeply into your soul, says the psalmist. Let your heart be transformed. Let your mind be renewed. Let this truth, this central truth, Guide your pulse and inform every one of your footsteps. This is the message of Psalm 46. Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. This is what we need to know this morning. What's my course when I'm sad or or when I'm distressed or when I'm frustrated? Do I run to the clinic? When the, when the earth seems like it's changing and the mountains are shaking and the waters roar and foam, what do I do? I don't need a clinic. I need to straighten up. I need to wipe off my nose and I need to strand on my stronghold with spiritual weapons of warfare in my hands and in my heart. Because Yahweh of hosts is with me. He's my stronghold. I want to look a little bit closer in our Bibles at these verses in Psalm 46. Remember again, this first section, one through three, God's presence, his presence is my courage. In verse one, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Starting with this phrase, God is our refuge and strength. God's specialty, guys, is being a hiding place for his people. A safe place. God is a place to find refuge from difficult circumstances. The circumstances may remain like with the disciples on the sea. We saw that. But God is my refuge even and stronghold even in those types of circumstances. Moses will help us understand even better. As he was blessing the the nation Israel in Deuteronomy 33, Moses says to the nation, he says, the eternal God is a dwelling place, a refuge, literally, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he drove out the enemy from before you and said, destroy. Do you know the comfort of his everlasting arms today? 
Again, Psalm 34, verse 8 agrees and says, Oh, taste and see that Yahweh is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. There's a blessing there. But of course, like many of us do in our practical living, Israel trusted in people and things more than God. They brought old covenant judgment on themselves. Remember Jeremiah 17, thus says Yahweh, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from Yahweh. And he will be like a juniper in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will dwell in stony wastes in the wilderness, a a land of salt which is not inhabited. Scripture, guys, tells us that God wants us, he wants his people to trust in him alone. To stay out of the clinic to stand up straight, wipe off our noses and walk out our lives, grow in our marriages and even our singleness, if that's our case, or even in our widowhood and walk in victory over our anger problem and in overcoming our self-control issues, all as we trust in him alone. And of course, there's a place for ministry in the, in the body of Christ, a place for the ministry of the word and marriages and personal struggles and frustrating and sad things. Of course, God's designed to hold church to help with those things. But of course, the end of that ministry, the end of that ministry is a fruitful life in his kingdom. That's where that ministry heads. In verse one here, for a Christian to endure hard things, we we need to see that God is our very present help. God's presence is my courage. Literally, he's abundantly available for help, the text says. Why don't we ask ourselves this morning, just be honest with ourselves, who is my very present help? What, maybe, is my very present help? Where do I go when the mountains shake into the heart of the sea, so to speak? Or when the seawaters roar and foam in my life? Think specifically about this last week. Think of the way that you responded. Do you habitually run to the clinic or do you go into God's presence by faith and have courage because he's there? If I keep my eyes on my difficult spouse... Dwelling on all their blemishes, I stay in turmoil. But if I stand, if I stand up and quit slouching, as Martin Lloyd-Jones puts, if I, if I stand by faith in the presence of God, me and him, he and me, keeping my eyes on him, I have courage and victory. I even become a useful vessel in the potter's hands and bear fruit for his glory. But if my sinful response with a critical spirit towards the sin of my spouse is all I can see, because I've obviously taken my eyes off serving and glorifying God, I get caught up in the waves and they crash me against the rocks. And I end up running to the clinic so I can lay down and think about myself for a while. God's presence is my courage. Back now to verse 2, the psalmist, he says, In God's presence we will not fear. 
You might remember again from Exodus 33, Moses also depended on God's presence. God had directed him to take the people into the promised land, and God said, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest there. Moses replied, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not take us up from here. We don't want to go. We don't want to be anywhere without you. There's no safety outside of the presence of God. The kingdom of darkness is not for us, it's against us. Back to Psalm 46, back in your Bibles from verses 2 and 3. Though the earth should change and though the mountains shake into the heart of the sea and though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its lofty pride, even if all these things happen, even if my circumstances look perilous, even if I'm sick, even if I've had trouble connecting emotionally to my spouse, even if I'm sad, even if my job is hard and the kids don't even notice when I walk back in the door when I get home from work, even if homeschool mixed with too many pets and carrying around a baby and and having dinner ready is all overwhelming and seems like I'm stuck in this season for my entire life, nevertheless... He is my refuge. I will not fear. Even if I'm sad because I'm married to a difficult person, I won't fear because he's with me. The psalmist also says his rod and staff comfort me. God's presence gives me courage, period. Why would I run to the clinic? The Apostle Paul, in his affliction in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 9, he says, Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. We thought we were going to die. A.K.A. we thought we were going to have to run to the clinic. But he didn't go there. It says, instead, we trusted in God who raises the dead, who rescued us from so great a peril of death and will rescue us, he on whom we have set our hope. Back to verse 3, you notice that these mountains shaking in verse 3. Look down at verse 6, they're explained there. They're kingdoms. Again, verse 3, sea waters roaring. They're explained again in verse 6. They're the nations, the Gentiles. But later in the history of Scripture, the history of redemption, there's going to be another mountain. By the way, take some time to study mountains in Scripture. I know that might sound boring today, but when you start studying it, you're going to be blown away. There's another mountain that's going to be established, another kingdom, like from verse 6, and it would be the head of all the mountains, says Isaiah 2, and and a kingdom that would put an end to all other kingdoms, a kingdom that will stand forever, says Daniel chapter 2, a kingdom that will eliminate the sea, the roaring Gentile nations from Revelation 21. How can this kingdom in Isaiah and Daniel's future be so overcoming? Because here's why. It's because of the victorious presence of God dwelling there. The spirit of Jesus Christ himself, the king of this kingdom, his kingdom is made up of people, Jews and Gentiles, uh, temples of the living God where his presence dwells today, even here, in you. And each of us, with him in us, the triune God, we will not fear. His presence in us 
gives us courage. Though the earth should change and though the mountains shake into the heart of the sea and though its waters roar with foam and though the mountains quake in lofty pride, we won't fear the God of Jacob is with us. He's actually in us. I want to think maybe even a more practical contemporary way. Even if it seems like the modern day mountain China is quaking in its lofty pride and and seems like they're bringing everything under their control. And even if there's a war in in Ukraine that nobody really knows anything about and, and another one in Israel and a sea of nations flooding across the southern border and nuclear weapons being developed in Iran, nevertheless, God's presence gives you and I courage. We even sing this. We sing, though the nations rage, kingdoms rise and fall, there is still one king reigning over all. Though the dread of night overwhelms my soul, he is here with me, and I'm not alone. Who is your very present help this morning? Back to Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the man who trusts in Yahweh and whose trust is Yahweh. And he will be like a tree planted by the water that sends forth its root and by a, excuse me, sends forth its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes. Heat will come. We're not going to run to the clinic. But its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor refrain from yielding its fruit. Maybe instead of squirming away from difficult trials, running to the clinic, you and I need to open our Bibles and encourage each other to be steadfast in the middle of them. Maybe that's the right way. Let's not merely be escapees. Let's be overcomers. Let's grow together. Speaking of opening our Bibles, the word, let's look down at our next Section. Remember our outline for the chapter, the verses 1 through 3, was God's presence is my courage. But now verse 4 through 7, God's word, God's word is my comfort. Don't run to the clinic, run to the word. Listen from verse 4, he says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be shaken. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations roar. The kingdoms shake. He gives his voice. The earth melts. Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. I want to tell you about this river that makes a glad city. And God's word water is used to signify a lot of themes, similar themes in God's kingdom. It talks about cleansing and and water is used to signify purification and baptism and refreshment and nourishment and revival. One good place to see how water is used in scripture is in Ephesians 5. Um, Paul writes and says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Again, the water 
of the word is cleansing. The word sanctifies. Jesus says this to praise this to his father. Sanctify them in the truth in John 17. Your word is truth, he says. Another place water is used is in the gospel of John from John 7. Jesus stood in verse 37 and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures said, from his innermost being will flow rivers, rivers of living water. And then the text says, but this he spoke of the spirit. Again, from John 4, 14, Jesus said to the woman, he said, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst ever. But the water that I will give him will become a well of water springing up to eternal life. Way back in Ezekiel 47, this river of living water, the spirit-enlivened word of God is, is prophesied as flowing out of a temple that's in Ezekiel and Israel's future, a river of life. And everywhere this river would flow, life happens, healing happens, revival happens, joy and gladness happens. Listen to Ezekiel 47, verse 12. He says, And by the river on its bank, on on one side and on the other, will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. They will bear every month, because their water flows out from the sanctuary, and their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for healing. (laughs) John and, excuse me, um, Jesus in John 3 told Nicodemus that he had to be born of water, and the Spirit to see the kingdom. Each of us who've trusted in Christ, born of the Spirit, have been healed by leaves, so to speak, nourished from the waters of this river, flowing out of the city's new temple, Jesus Christ himself, who was raised up in three days. In Revelation 22, the apostle John was shown a river of the water of life, bright as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. And on either side of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Nations like America, with Idaho Healing even happens here in Hayden as this, he streams his spirit-enlivened word out of the new temple made of living stones now. Jesus Christ is the sanctuary. You are his tabernacle, and his river flows through us by the power of the Spirit as we bring the word everywhere we flow. Oh my goodness. Why would we go to the clinic when we have the water of life? Here at Aden Bible Church, by the Spirit, we sing the word, we preach the word, we teach the word, we minister the healing word to sinful, confused, and struggling people in and out of this building. Healing and bringing gladness and rejoicing as the Spirit regenerates souls and cleanses hearts as you and I make disciples bearing fruit 12 months a year. Isaiah 65, 18, be joyful and rejoice forever in what I create. God says, for behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for joy. That's you. 
Jerusalem for rejoicing. The new spirit, excuse me, the Jerusalem of the spirit, the city of the living God from Hebrews 12. And and then now back to verse 4 in in chapter 46. The holy dwelling place says of the most high. God is in the midst of earth, the text says. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Again, Isaiah writes, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of Yahweh has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and dense gloom the peoples. But Yahweh will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Like the song says, bless you by the way. Like the song says, let your love flow. Better yet, let the word flow to all the nations because the spirit and the bride say, come now. Everyone who is thirsty can come and drink and find life from this river. Look down again at verse 6. The nations roar. The kingdoms shake. He gives his voice. The earth melts. Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Guys, in the crucibles of life, when we run to the clinic, we shake. We melt. But in the city of the living God, the dwelling place of the Most High, where the glad river flows, he gives his voice and the earth melts. Everyone else's foundation squishes below their feet, but we will not be shaken His word gives me comfort. We even sing that. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth, the river of his spirit enlivened word to triumph through us. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Amen. Let's look at our last passage. Again, verses 1 through 3, God's presence is my courage. Verses 4 through 7, God's word is my comfort. And now here in verses 8 through 11, God's works, his works are my confidence. Listen again, the psalmist says, Come, behold the works of Yahweh who has appointed desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts up the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Again, God's works are my confidence. Old Covenant Israel knew the works of God too, didn't they? Again from Moses in Deuteronomy 7, before they were headed into the occupied promised land, Moses gave him a warning. He said, if you should say in your heart, these nations are more numerous than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them. You shall well remember what Yahweh your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt, the great trials which your eyes saw, and the signs and the wonders, and the mighty hand, and the outstretched arm by which Yahweh your God brought you out. So shall Yahweh your God to all the peoples, do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. 
Moreover, Yahweh your God will send the hornet against them until those who remain and hide themselves from you perish. You shall not dread them. For Yahweh your God is in your midst, a great and fearsome God. Don't run to the clinic, Moses is telling them. Remember the works of God when he brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Remember what he did there so you won't be afraid. Have confidence informed by his works. With regard to difficult marriages this morning, though, through the ministry of the word in our counseling groups, I've, I've seen crazy... Guys, I'm seriously, I've seen crazy supernatural redemptions of almost impossible things transform right in front of me. I've seen the works of God. I've seen his mighty hand and his outstretched arm from a front row seat, and I thought I was going to fall off of it because God was working right then. I've seen it as he brings the conviction of sin and repentance leading to his glory being revealed in beautiful ways couples had never seen before in their marriages. He's alive. He's the living God. He's in your marriage too. He's in your frustrating circumstance. He's even in your loneliness and, and your depression as well. Just bring it to him. Later, Closer to the end of their covenant, Jeremiah says to Israel, uh, of Israel to God, he says, you brought your people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders and with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terror and gave them this land which you swore to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. They came in and took possession of it, but they did not listen to your voice and did not walk in your law. They have not done anything that you commanded them to do. Therefore, you made all this harmful evil come upon them. Praise the Lord that we're not under the Mosaic Covenant. Christ took the whole curse. Now we receive showers of blessing in him. Back to verse 8. Come, behold the works of Yahweh, who has appointed desolations in the earth. He he makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He cuts up the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. He's the supreme and sovereign God. Cease striving, he says. Be still and know that I am God. I'm your stronghold. I'm your refuge. Don't run to the clinic. You can't be God. You can't even be God for your spouse. You'll destroy yourself and everyone else trying to be God. Just stop. Just be still. Know that I am God. I will be exalted among nations. Certainly in your Christian marriage in Idaho, in that nation as well. I have all authority in heaven on earth, in earth, he says. I will be exalted in the earth. Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. God's works are my confidence this morning. I'm going to let the... It's just like getting a massage going to church at Hayden Bible Church, isn't it? (laughs) I want to let the word bless you just from where you're sitting this morning. Another psalm. 
listen, just receive the massage. Those who go down into the sea in ships, who do business on many waters, they have seen the works of Yahweh and his wondrous deeds in the deep. He spoke and set up a stormy wind which raised up the waves of the sea. They went up to the heavens and they went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in the calamity. They staggered and swayed like drunken men. And all their wisdom was swallowed up. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to stand still so that its waves were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. So he led them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to Yahweh for his loving kindness and for his wondrous deeds to the sons of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him at the seat of the elders. Are you staggering and swaying like a drunken man today? Remember the works of Yahweh this morning. Remember his wondrous deeds to the sons of men. Again from the Psalms, he makes a wilderness into a pool of water and a dry land into springs of water, living water. Remember your spirit-born salvation as you stare in the face of difficulties today. Be still. Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Before we close, before you go home to your fondue pot, I want to close by acknowledging the context of Psalm 46. If you look in your Bible, in the heading of Psalm 46, you'll notice that it was written by the sons of Korah. Isn't that interesting? The sons of Korah, Levites, they were descendants of Korah, obviously. Who remembers Korah? Yeah. In number 16, Korah rises in rebellion against the leadership of Moses and Aaron. It turns out that not all Levites are priests. Some of them do other duties. And so Korah wanted to be a priest. And he had a critical spirit towards those who were in authority over him, and he coveted that authority. And, and in breaking that 10th commandment, he was condemned by the law. God exacted justice almost on the spot. If you remember from number 16, it says the ground that was under them split open, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their households and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions, so that they, so they and all that belonged to them went down to Sheol alive. And the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their outcry, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up. In Numbers 26, we find out later that not all the sons of Korah died. 
Instead, they learned a huge lesson, didn't they? That's a lesson that God would use to teach us today in Psalm 46. They learned that there is one true and living God and that his presence is our courage, his word is our comfort, and his works, even in the judgment against that they saw against their father, are our confidence. God became big in their eyes that day. And the, everything else became really small. Keep your eyes on him. Let's stay out of the clinic, guys. Let's bear fruit in our lives to God, to his glory. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we're so blessed and grateful for your word. We thank you so much that you've loved us and given it to us. Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ, the name by which anyone who comes by faith and cries out for salvation can be saved. Today, Lord, we pray through the ministry of this word, that you would bear much fruit when we leave this place. That you would use us standing up, Lord, refusing the clinic and walking out of here, ready to serve our great King and God, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would be blessed by it and pleased to bear much fruit from it and save others and spread this kingdom across this planet. In Jesus' name.